Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Today, Peter has a special guest on the show, and that is Abe Stulzaft, Director of Planning at Lincoln Financial Advisors. So, Peter, you brought on Abe. What are you guys talking about today? Well, it's such an interesting and, and, and such an important topic of conversation. So I, I, let me give you a little background. I, I, think, I think one of the biggest and hardest things about being a, a human being is just dealing with all the unknown and uncertainty that we have to face every day. It's just there. So there's just so much we don't know and can't control. And, and uncertainly, uncertainty uh, affects the financial planning process. So in my opinion, good planning attempts to take that into account, all those possible unknowns and, 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 and thinks about all these contingencies, mm-hmm. you know, the, what happens if. So one of the greatest unknowns for a family is that, that stark reality that a family member may have special needs mm. and they may have these needs from birth or it may be a special need that develops over time. This, this need might be physical or cognitive or, or emotional or, or all three. And it could be caused by you know, genetics, there, there could have been an accident, a disease, or, or, or maybe an addiction you know, that, that people suffer with. So, so oftentimes a, a special need means the person has a, a need for additional care or support. So there could be additional caregiving involved. And, and these caregiving situations are, are often fraught with lots of complexity and challenges. And, and with that in mind, I, I really wanted to have a conversation with my friend and, and associate, Abe, who's got an expertise and a passion for this, for this subject. So, so Abe, welcome to Wealth is in the Details podcast. Thank you very much, Peter. And as always, I hope you and your family are safe and healthy during the pandemic. Before we go into special needs from a family perspective, and that's the way we're really going to deal with it and all that you talked about, I really just want to spend maybe one or two minutes on placing the whole issue of special needs or disability within a societal context. And the reason I want to do that is because mainly when we planners are dealing with families, we stay focused and it's very inward looking, but we have to realize that whether or not an individual is considered disabled is really related to the environments that surround the specific person. Is it an enabling uh, environment or disabling? And that includes society's attitudes and social norms, right? It's, It's not just how we deal with it, but how the society looks at it. If barriers are eliminated and there's a positive interaction between the person and the larger community that he's living in, there'll be greater opportunities for personal empowerment, social participation and inclusion, which will felt, be felt not just by the individual, but also by the family. 
If, on the other hand, the individual does not overcome those barriers that society has, even with different supports and specific accommodations that might be set up, this interaction will reinforce a stigma, discrimination, and lead to the opposite, that is, disempowerment and exclusion. Anyone, at any time, as you pointed out, can acquire an impairment of any kind and can become permanently or temporarily disabled. Impairment relates to the way people function in their society and their environment. It may be presented at birth, it may develop during lifetime, through malnutrition, disease, accident, violence, abuse, or other conditions that are in the environment. And as we see more and more, as people age, so too does the possibility of acquiring a visual, hearing, physical, or other type of impairment. Different types of impairments may generate different kinds of levels of functioning limitations. But we, as a society, as a community, can limit barriers in society. These limitations may not necessarily become a disability. And now we can talk more about the family focus of special needs planning, Peter. Yeah, boy, you really you you, you really started that with such an uh, an important bang. You know, we we live in a society that that we have to deal with and a community. And uh, this is not just one family's issue. This is a community's and our society's issue. So uh, really, thank you for, for speaking so passionately about that. So I'm, I'm so excited you're here to talk to us about it because I this is something that I feel strongly about and I know you do as well. But, but first, let's start off with the basics. You know, how do you define special needs planning? And, and why, why should a family go down this path? Okay. Well, as far as the definition goes, it's really dry, I'm sorry to say, right? An individual with special needs or individuals with special needs are those who have uh, chronic, physical, cognitive, developmental, behavioral, or emotional conditions that, and this is the key part of the sentence, that limit their ability to live, think, and or work independently. And again, the um, disabilities we're talking about can be invisible, they could be uh, language processing problems, arthritis, developmental delays, attention deficit disorders, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are those that are more visible, the ones that people think about when they see, uh, when they think about special needs, whether it's Down syndrome, um, cerebral palsy, amputations, par paralysis. So there are things that you could see and things that you don't see, but they are there and they can be developed at different stages. Why the family? Well, the focus has to be the, the, the focus of it for a couple of reasons. First of all, family is probably the most powerful system to which we'll ever belong. And because of that power, you have opportunities and responsibilities. I think I saw a number that about 85% of people with disabilities live with their families, many for most of their lives. So that's something about, let's say, let's say family is a system. Practically, all right, and um, this comes um, true to many families, is that you need to take a multi-generational approach to it. You need caretaking now, you need it in, in, the, in the future. And of course, uh, because you're talking about multi-generational planning, it can involve those from uh, a child, which we'll talk about, to the parent, to the grandparent. 
there's a need for caretaking throughout the spectrum going from birth to death. There's costs always involved. What you talked about in the very beginning is really, really um, true. And that is the uncertainty of the situation, both what we want to do and what we can do. Part of the uncertainty is, we, is the unknown of government benefits. That is what's going to be in place, not just now, but in the future. And it really is quite, quite complex. So we can't really deal with it unless we deal it from a holistic family approach. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so always curious to know what, what makes people tick. So, you know, you're, you've got this passion. Tell, tell our listeners about your journey to both financial planning and then also the topic at hand, your passion around special needs planning. Sure. So my journey to financial planning, and I'm smiling right now because I'm going to say it was an accident. I had lived overseas for about 10 years. During the time, I did love a family. I was married. We had a couple of children at, the, at that time. We've had more since. And I worked in, to a large degree in economic planning. And when I came back, I needed a job really quick. I saw an ad for financial planning. I looked into it. It said, well, it says planning. It's financial. I did economics. You know, what the hell? It's going to probably be related. It wasn't. It wasn't. And it was a hard journey to find my place. But I, got, I was very, very lucky. I was lucky both that I was able to find um, a career that was financially, that made our family financially secure, as well as in finding something that I like doing. I'm not saying that it's life's journey to find my plan, but it, it was good and, and it worked. Special needs, when I think about that, it was also a, it was more of a journey, but that was a journey of what I would call of perceptions. So what do I mean by that? It's really been a three generational going on a fourth generational involvement and in how in particular in how I look at dealing with families. My mom and my dad were survivors of the Holocaust and they had different experiences over there. But for my mom, it was very hard on her uh, physically, emotionally, losing her family and so on. But I didn't really understand it very well. When we got back, I was a child. They were very protective of me. And I didn't understand some of the psychological damage that it did until later in life. And even then, I saw it as a burden upon me as a child that I had to deal with something like this. But I saw it firsthand. And as time went on, <clears throat> she developed um, you know, dementia. And we had to deal with that also. But I saw it not as an outsider, but somebody who was kind of impacted unintentionally by something like that. As time went by, the um, second generation of special needs came in. That was my wife, who um, is a developmental therapist. She has worked exclusively as a physical therapist in the under three-year-old group for those who have um, um, special needs, mainly developmental, but others also. And it's here where I started seeing what a professional can do and starting understanding just a bit more from the outside of the importance of having good, good communities and good networks to work with in dealing with special needs families and their children. And it was, it's a tough, it really was tough for her. You know, you, you have people, you know, you have kids who are not going to develop as you would want them to see how that impacts on the parents. She had, you know, quite a few of them who passed away, unfortunately, at very young ages because of what they had. The third generation is my kid are my kids, the loves of my life. Right. And I've, I've had three of them. And um, two of the boys have epilepsy, and one of them has severe learning disabilities. 
And this was the first time that I was drawn in to having to deal with it from a family side. And this has been going on now for a number of years. Now, to be very, very honest, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. I mean, and it, it, truthfully, I kind of live vicariously through my kids, right? The two boys, you know, one of them, a fourth degree belt in black in, on karate. He teaches karate. He's a sensei. He specializes in working with kids with special needs. Thank you very much. And uh, my older son, who also has epilepsy, has traveled the world. He's done the Himalayas. He's married, professionally set, and has given me two beautiful granddaughters. So I, I'm good. But, but even with all that, I still wake up thinking about what can happen to them. So as, a, as just a small example. So again, I have granddaughters, and one of them, who you might have heard in the background, she has, she's slow, she has, she's on the lower end of the spectrum as far as speech. Now, my wife, who again has done this for 40 years, said, says to me, Abe, don't worry. But I'm saying to myself, given my background, how can I not worry? And I know that she's going to turn out fine no matter what. But one of the things is that just because of what our, our kids have gone through, we know how to deal with her in a very proactive way. Okay. So what I would say is that my journey through this has not been through the experiences, but through the perceptions that I've, I've gained as far as looking at, you know, both the individual with, with certain disabilities or impairments, as well as the families and what they can be going through. So I know that was long-winded. I'll try not to be as long-winded going forward, but that's my journey, Peter, to answer your question. Well, I think I think it's vital to the conversation. You know, we we are who we are. We 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 all have baggage that's both good and bad. You know, it's it just it is what it is. You know, and I think every family, no matter what, in some way, shape, or form, deals with has dealt with uncertainty in in life. And whether it's at the birth of children, it's or, or it's later on in life. So it, it happens. So let, let's get let's get into some of the technical parts of planning, although that's not the focus today. But but just in general, I, I see special needs planning for families as really a highly technical, and I would say multidisciplined approach. And it often requires the input from lots of different professionals. So could you talk a bit about that? You know, who who are these professionals? Why is it so complex for sure. families. Sure. And again, it is multidisciplinary without question. None of us can do everything. And the longer we're in the business, we realize that. So there are things that people know about. There are, there are professions that people know about, but one has to remember that, and I will go into them, is that depending on what stage we're at in the family, where you are with the kid, with your child or with um, a sibling or someone, you'll be encountering different professionals at different stages. One of the most important things, because I always use this when I talk to people, are attorneys. And when I talk about attorneys, it's not just an attorney who is good in special needs or elder care if it's an older person, but somebody who really knows their local environment because local laws impact quite a bit on uh, what can be done and also has a good network. Because again, it's some of the things that I, as a uh, financial planner, realize I don't have those networks that they do in areas, in areas such as social workers, mental health, 
knowing what the public benefits might be in a certain area. So those are also the parts that you need, the social workers, the healthcare providers, and so on. An accountant is really important. The more I've been here the, in the business of dealing with families, I've realized that the tax element can be very significant. Most people, most families don't realize there are certain tax breaks that can be given to these families for what their expenditures are. And you really need an accountant who is very familiar to be very proactive in looking at what can be done for those families. Because it is expensive, it can be, I'm gonna talk about that more, but you should find an accountant who really knows how to deal with the tax element of special needs planning. And then of course, it's important to have a good insurance specialist and investment specialist because long range planning deals to a large degree on having the proper risk management program in place, having the right investment program in place. And then depending on what you're setting up for your, for your child, for the family member, you need guardians, custodians, and um, I'll talk a bit about it a little later at the end, but also having a network within that special needs community. So as an example, the ARC, ARC is a really good site for a lot of, a lot of the benefits and um, people dealing with that later on. So those are ones I would talk about, both you know, accountants, attorneys, planners, uh, specialists, as well as on the social side of social workers, healthcare providers, and medical providers also. Yeah, we've heard it heard it said, you know, lo location, 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 but especially with this kind of planning, everything is so localized. Mm -hmm. It's 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 what are the resources in the community that you live in? That those are that's that's what you need to take advantage of. At least a family does, I believe. Absolutely. And just one more small point on that. What I forgot to mention is that a lot of faith-based based organizations also have those connections that you, you should reach into to get churches, um, synagogues, temples, and so on, because they deal with this almost every day also. Yeah, gr great, great suggestion. Well, we could spend you know, hours talking about the technical issues, which, which you and I love to talk about. Issues are often solvable with, with estate planning documents like trusts or, or life, disability, long-term care insurance. So, so there are, are, are lots of things that we can solve. We don't necessarily need to talk about that today. I, I, I thought, but, but I thought we would talk more about the challenges that different families will face over, over a lifetime. Right. And that's what I'm going to go into, I think, more um, as the um, podcast goes on. I've mentioned before that it's family-oriented, and it really is developing a holistic family approach to what we're dealing with. Families are interactive, independent, and reactive. Everybody is affected by each other. Changes that happen uh, to one person reverberates along social, emotional, uh, physical lines in a family. And there's good to it and the bad. The good is that many cases that because the family is so important, the tenacity, the perseverance of a child with certain issues to endure makes parents more motivated and to invest in their effort. There's a closeness that of bringing people together that I've seen you know, numerous times because of a situation of one of its members. And also it gives a family the ability to be more flexible and to adapt to new situations. So there's the good. What's the bad? Well, because 
you can't remove yourself from that member who has an impairment or special needs, the family as a whole could also face certain issues, issues such as social stigma, right? And unfortunately, you see that all the time. How do you deal with a family who has a child with a uh, special needs? There's prejudices against them. Both of them are um, prejudice that are conscious and unconscious. There's going together with the social stigma is alienation. I mean, if we're going to isolate you or if we think that you might not want to be in our group, then that isolation leads to a sense of alienation in the family itself, that they don't belong in a community. And on the other side of that are those families who want to go out of the way to make sure that they're not treating the family with a person or persons with special needs differently, and it leads to patronization. You know, you're going overboard. So that's something that it's hard to deal with because that's not your family, but the other families, but it could be faced when in conversations with other families. What I see from a family perspective, and that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes, is that there are certain pressure points inside the cycle, the life cycle of a family dealing with special needs. And if you can, can just imagine a line on the left side, birth, and the right side of that line, death, there's certain things uh, or certain times that are, again, pressure points. That is, not only are you facing as a family, but at about the same time, the child might be facing. And that goes, I mean, kind of obviously, once on one side is the birth. And how do you deal with that, you know, finding out about a child? A lot of times you won't find out at birth. It might take a couple of years, two, three years before it, it, it fleshes out. But you're starting to get the, put it together, your own financial situation, and you go, oh, my God, I have a child who has certain issues. I don't know how to deal with that, right? And then later on, the child might start going through the issues of going into school, high school, employment, retirement, as we see, more and more families have children who thankfully are living longer, even though with certain impairments and disabilities, and they have to deal with their own retirement and what to do with a child. So you have these points throughout a life cycle that maybe on the bottom side, you can look at it. Well, what am I facing at certain marks on our life cycle? And above the line, what our child will be facing about the same time. And you have to realize you have to deal with both of them. What I think I'd like to do now going forward, though, is kind of segment this into a few different groups. We'll talk about planning for younger families, then for a child who's starting to be an adult, and then going on to uh, a child who has, again, certain needs, who is reaching maybe his own or her own retirement, and then planning for adults later on. So if that's okay with you, Peter... Let's you know move along that cycle, starting with the very young. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, so, so let's chat about those challenges. Let's start with those younger kids. Sure. So I'm going to mention just quickly that remember, when a child is under 18, by law, the parent has a primary support obligation. Parents are the guardians and normally the sole decision makers. That's it for law. All right. For those children, again, who are under a certain age, families are starting cert facing certain, as Peter would call them, challenges. One is the detection and early of a child with disability. Again, I'll just relate it to my sense. When our second son 
was born. We didn't realize what his learning difficulties would be. And it didn't take us about till about three or four years. And from our, from the perspective of me and my wife, it, it wasn't easy because it wasn't, A, it wasn't, it wasn't clear so that we were arguing about, is he normal? Is he not? What the disabilities and so on. So it does impact even at that stage without knowing about it on, on families dynamics. And then going into intervention, early intervention programs for the child, finding them. It's not easy. I live in New York and still even in New York, in the city and the suburbs, it's not the easiest thing to find good programs for them. A bit later, after early interventions, they start going into primary school and a little bit of, and then public school also. Some areas have better programs for special needs, some don't. And you're facing a question that I'm sure you, some of you have already dealt with or some of you will deal with. And that is, do I want my child separated out? Do I want him in a special needs program or not, if I have that ability? In general, the challenges, I think, for those in the young, younger families are economic, dealing with da daily care, the recreation, both of the child and the family. And one of the overhangs is one thing that I found is that a very common coping strategy for families with disability is the, a very conscious maintenance of a strong present orientation one day at a time. And it's understandable, right? They have things to do with every single day. It's hard to think about the future. At the same time, however, there's an opposite pull. And that is the pervasive worry about the future. What's gonna happen both to my child, to one child, to the siblings, and to ourselves. And one of the things that I find the most helpful from a planning perspective as a planner is trying to not alleviate these worries about the future, but at least to lighten them, to feel that they have people that they can work with and depend on to help them to get through not just the day, but lead into the future, right? So you have financial challenges of a family that Maybe you had both, both spouses working. Well, you now have a child who can't be left alone. So a spouse might not be able to work full-time, part-time. Also, the other spouse might have to say, I can't do the job I'm doing because it takes away too much from the family. It lowers income. It's been shown that young families, working families with children with special needs do have lower incomes. It's a... And, brave, and, and Peter told me this, this expression, it's a brave new world. That is, you weren't expecting this, not at all. And it's a surprise and you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know the language to use. And really there is specific language as far as how do you deal with those, with people with special needs. And it's hard to find them, establishing those professional relationships. And I don't know how often I can say it, that those families that have developed professional relationships, not just with financial planners, but with the attorneys and accountants early on in their lives with the children, normally have a, a, a more balanced approach to the, what's going on with them today, and normally a better future set up for themselves and for their kids that they can feel confident about that they're doing the right thing and comfortable with that they're not at a, at a stage that they have to despair for what's gonna to happen today and tomorrow. 
Yeah, my, my, my feeling, my experience is that they don't feel alone. I think a, a lot of special needs families feel very isolated and with good professional support, there's a lesser, they feel that less. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't, again, um, overemphasize that. Yeah. The idea that they have to feel part of something for a number of reasons. And those that have been be able to involve, whether it, you know, the extended family, whether it's community groups, whether it's support groups, really, really have the ability to, to go through this, in a, again, in a more balanced manner. I just want to point one small thing out. That I want to touch on the whole issue of other children, the siblings over here. The siblings are not just there to support the child with special needs. They have their own lives themselves. And depending on how they're dealt with, um, there can be both positive and negative consequences by the siblings, right? So it's always, it's always important to me when I talk to a family that has more than one child, you know, and say, listen, it's not just about, you know, John, the child with the needs, but it's also about Emma, right? And no matter how much Emma loves John and really does, Emma is a person, is an individual, and we have to make sure that she that she benefits from the relationships. You know, benefits by learning tolerance, have a lack of prejudice, and so on. But we don't want a situation that Emma, in this case, feels that she's losing her own individuality or her own recognition in the family because everything is being focused just on the child, John, in this case, who might have special needs. I think that's where I can, and you do mind if I just move over, let's say to a slightly older child? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, fine. Well, again, on a technical side, what I wanted to say is that let's say we're at the end of high school, starting college, legally from what is called deeming no longer exists. That is a child who's 18 um, now can apply for SSI, Medicaid testing and so on. Uh, you might be able to get a guardian appointed for, for him or for her. So there is a difference from a legal perspective for those who are under 18, the younger kids and the older kids. And in an educational perspective, they can get vocational training, training for independent living, and that's a good thing. And by age 21, 22, depending on the state, the child no longer has a right to school, which can be a very dramatic experience because the school is not just a learning institution for that child, but also is the social setting or a very important social setting. And they're going to start moving out from there. So you have to start making sure that you can get advocates that will work for the child. And again, many, many states have that, that once you get to a certain age, you graduate from one a system into another of advocacy that can help that child and help the family better develop themselves as people, as well as also help them with a different job and other necessities going forward. And the questions that the parents have to face are, you know, can our child be independent? What kind of housing do we want? As I mentioned before, you can get employment, you might be able to get employment training depending on the, on, on the state you're in. A major issue is relationships, whether it's, you know, just platonic friendship relationships, or it can be more intimate relationships. And I'll be very upfront. I'm not really good at that. I, I hope I, I could say that I, I didn't fail my kids, but outside of that, it, you really do need 
professionals over there that are very aware of young adults going through these, and especially the young adults who do have certain impairments and um, special needs to deal with their specific situation. This is an age also that the family starts thinking more and more about what's going to happen when they're not around. The, the current pandemic has caused many of us to consider whether we are really prepared for the un, unexpected. It's, asked, it's very important to ask whether families with special needs are really ready to discuss the transition and this is when it starts happening, the transition of oversight and advocacy to their successors. The pandemic has made it kind of easier to deal with this because it's affecting so many of, you know, of our clients. And you can see that going on and on and on and on. And here you start talking about more guardians, trustees, advisory boards, whether or not you have the family network or it has to be a non-family network to deal with. So this is in many cases, an underlooked area for families. They say, okay, I've gotten past childhood. I'm into early adulthood. I can take a little breather. It doesn't really happen. There are a lot more challenges. And going forward, you have to put a lot more into place to make sure that it's over there. So later on, if you're not in place, then there won't be um, issues that could arise. And this is particularly difficult because parents now are starting to think more about their own retirement and their own mortality. So there are issues that, remember that spectrum I talked about? Well, this is on the right side of that, of those pressure points that they have to deal with, not just for themselves, but for the families. And I think that there's a transition, a natural transition to these people, to these people with special needs at a later stage of life. And they're Again, the difficulty lies that you have people who are living with their parents who are getting older or when they get older themselves so that it goes through the life cycle. And just a small point, about a third of adults with mental illness live with elderly parents. And again, it has to be taken care for at the end. And the challenge is how to do it. And here it's really comprehensive financial planning, which enables people, families to coordinate their financial and legal affairs so you can implement the vision that they have for the child. And the goals are providing opportunities, making sure that you have the adequate resources in place and so on. I just want to conclude with one last sentence. It goes without saying that nothing can replace the tireless and uncompromising advocacy of a parent, but with good planning, frank discussions, and a recognition that government programs will provide only a part of the solution, families can provide and build a different successful plan of advocacy for a family member with disability. And as with all good planning, the hardest step is often the first one. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's so true. One thing I just want to mention just from a, because these are such big issues and you're dealing with such unknowns. I think the, the financial resources that a family has makes, makes a difference. There's certainly an affluent family is going to have more resources than a family that may not be. But building those resources into your plan at any level, any family is so vital. And I think the less resources a family might have access to, 
the more they might need to bring bring in the expertise and love of other family members, of other friends, of of of, of other people in the community that can provide the, the the needed care over that 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 person's lifetime. So it's the plan that's the most important thing. It's thinking ahead, which is really hard, <laughs> and especially uh, when so much is unknown. So Abe, I, I am. I'm so happy that we were able to to chat about this. I know there's so much more. There's so much so much technical information that we could talk about today, but you know, people will get that information from their professional advisors. I think what what I hope to do today was set the stage for those conversations and help families understand that 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 this is not going to resolve all the future problems, but, but good planning will make them feel like they're moving forward and they're, they're, and they're providing solutions. So I really thank you for, for the time today. It, it, your passion just, just is so, is so sincere. So th- thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for the work that you will do to, to help so many families. Thank you, Peter. And thank you to all the families who are listening in. Great. And if if someone does have questions specifically about special needs, certainly reach out to me. If they have qu- questions for Abe, we can make that connection for Abe. And so, you know, my website is raskinplanning.com. Start there and reach out directly to us. So again, thanks, Abe. Gentlemen, this was fantastic. Abe, I will say this. My father always said this. You're good people. You are good people. I know Peter brought you on the show because of that. What a heart you have. And I, I thank you so much for just a wonderful podcast full of great information. Peter, of course, thank you so much for bringing Abe on. The audience needs to hear this. And, and for those that are that are listening, you're going to hear me say this twice here in this close, but please share this podcast with somebody who needs to hear this. Somebody who may be going through this issue or maybe they have grandchildren with, with special needs and the family needs to be united. And uh, this can definitely give them some good, some good information. So please do that. And I thanked our guest. I thank Peter, of course. And our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. There's that second ask I told you about. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. 
Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.